Dr. Andrew J. Wright, at Marine Brit on Twitter, is a British marine biologist that has been working on the science policy boundary around the world for over a decade. His experiences have led him to champion a better communication of science to policymakers and the public, as well as spearheading efforts to bring more marketing techniques into conservation outreach. Very important. His PhD explored the natural behaviour of harbour-based marine animals and the impacts of noise on them. He studied sperm whale bioacoustics for his Masters of Science and has undertaken some passive acoustic monitoring of Maui dolphins, where else but right here in New Zealand. Andy is the kind of guy whose excitement and passion shines through his voice. If anything, he's just a rare kind of producer. So really, it's no wonder he's found himself recording wildlife audio to see what secrets it holds. Lucky for us, a podcast is also completely based on audio. How good. And now it's his turn to reveal some of the secrets of his epic work. Good morning uh, from Scott Base. I'm here with Andrew Wright, a uh, scientist and specifically an audio scientist or along the lines I think I'd better ask you to explain that a bit better for us, Andy, if you could. Uh, what are you doing here in Antarctica? Well, I'm here to record the sounds of killer whales, to look at um, their movements, to look at their social calls, uh, to understand their dialect a little bit. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, acoustics in there and there's a little bit of behavior in there and a little bit of uh, ecology in there. So it's a, it's a good mix. How did you get into that kind of stuff? Um I always wanted to sort of be in the world of conservation as a kid. I, I, I enjoyed all the new sustainable techs and saving the planet and all that good stuff. Um, and then I, I met a few dolphins along the way and uh, decided they were pretty cool and uh, that there was something going on that I wanted to explore further. So uh, I ended up uh, doing marine biology at uh, university and uh, um, was fortunate enough to get into marine mammals and, and uh, noise-related issues uh, through my master's program. And so what kind of animals have you recorded in your time? Um, I did my master's degree with sperm whales, uh, my PhD with harbour porpoise, and uh, down in Antarctica I'm working with uh, killer whales. Um, I'm also working with North Atlantic right whales up in Canada. Right whales. Your kind of whale. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> oh, cool. And so tell us, why are you doing this? What, what, what does this audio tell us about these animals and the environment they're in? Um, well, the audio we're recording here actually tells us a bunch of different things, partly due to the unique situation that we have down here. Um, every year the icebreaker comes through to supply McMurdo and Scott Base with uh, all the food and things they need to get them through a year or so. Um, and the killer whales basically use this channel to get at the toothfish under the ice. And so we can set up uh, uh, almost like um, traps, uh, gates, if you will, where we deploy acoustic equipment so we can track their movements in and out of the um, sound um, so that we can sort of track their feeding behavior. But on top of that, what we can do is we can look at the sounds they make to understand their dialects, 
um, because we do know from some other studies that have been done, uh, some pilot work, uh, that these whales actually have different sounds uh, than whales in, in Antarctica, or in New, uh, sorry, in New Zealand and Australia. So um, if we wish to find out where the limits of their uh, range is to the north, how far they go into the Ross Sea, exactly where they go, um, finding out what sounds are unique to this particular group will allow us to deploy acoustic equipment blind into the ocean. And then when we get a recording, we can go, aha, that, okay, that matches a New Zealand killer whale, that one is an Australian killer whale, and that one's a Ross Sea killer whale. Right, and so we're trying to figure out as, uh, sort of where the population of, of these killer whales... What, do we have a name for the population of killer whales that's around uh, Scott Base and the McMurdo Sound here? Uh, there's actually a few different populations of killer whales of down here. Um, there's some fish-eating killer whales and, and uh, known as Charlies, or C, type C killer whales. Uh, and then there's a few mammal eaters, the bravos, that come through. Um, and uh, so it's more labelled by ecotype rather than population and region. Um, but yeah, I guess they would be the sort of Rossi killer whales. Right, cool. Oh, that's fantastic. And so why is this kind of work uh, important? And, and what, what has made you so motivated to come down here and spend five weeks of your life in this uh, in 24-hour daylight and freezing cold looking at these incredible killer whales? Uh, the, the reason why this, this particular project has come into existence is because there has been a... Um, the declaration of a marine protected area down in the in the Rossi region by Camelot, uh, the body that sort of looks after the stewardship of the Southern Ocean. Right, and it's to protect uh, the toothfish and the animals that are uh, reliant on that, and right. that would include Weddell seals, it would include the killer whales, and um, to maintain the marine protected area. Uh, under Camelot's rules, you have to do uh, sort of research and monitoring to make sure that it's actually doing the job. And so beyond creating a sustainable toothfish fishery in the Ross Sea region, uh, we ha also have to look to make sure that the uh, populations of the predators are also um, uh, unaffected by the presence of the fishery. Um, right. So this is sort of a first step uh, into finding out um, where the animals are so that we can track... Um, their changes in, in range, uh, track their responses to ongoing fishing and, and so forth. Um, so it's really helped sort of setting the scene. Right, so it's a step in understanding how uh, one particular aspect of the ecosystem is affecting, um, well, how, how it plays its role in there and, and how that's changing now that it's a protected area. Absolutely. Um, and because the protected area is, is brand new, we're sort of still looking at the baseline. How new is brand new? Uh, it came into effect uh, in December uh, last year, I believe. Wow. So uh, it was um, uh, announced uh, a year before in, in uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, it was announced a year before or so, um, and it took a little while to come into effect. So it, it's pretty, pretty brand new. Oh, amazing. And so I understand this, obviously this time you've been focusing on killer whales, but you've done some work with other Antarctic animals? Uh, nope, no, I'm just fresh down here for oh, wow. the Killer Whale uh, Acoustics Program. Oh, wow. um, I'm still getting used to the uh, the weather and the cold out here. It's only my second season. So. Oh, wow. And so how have you found your experience? Uh, I have found uh, the, um, the experience being down here has been uh, a, a really eye-opening one. Um, I, I'm, I'm more driven by the... Um, 
the research questions than, than a desire to come to Antarctica. So it was never really on my radar. But as I said, this is quite a unique opportunity to, to look at the killer whales in a very uh, different way. Um, so I jumped at the chance. Um, it is obviously very cold. Uh, it's very dry. Uh, and my skin has issues with that. <laughs> um, but uh, getting out on the sea ice to work with the killer whales, the views are amazing. Um, and of course, uh, it's really difficult to top having a emperor penguin just jump out of the water and stand next to you while you're doing your science stuff. And oh he just sort gosh. of sits there and watches on. So. so this happened while you're out on the ice? Yeah, yeah. Literally, we were standing on the edge of the sea ice, uh, putting in acoustic equipment into the uh, the water, and two emperor penguins sort of just jumped up and sat right in front of us and just watched us work for the oh next hour or so. Gosh. And so this... Uh, this acoustic equipment that you're putting down into the ocean, what, is, what does that mean? Is it just a microphone and a waterproof casing with an XLR just going 10, 20 metres down? What, what, is, what is the process involved to do this? We have a couple of bits of kit. One is pretty much just that. It's a, it's a microphone on a string, basically, that we put in the, in the water. Um, but the, the equipment that we leave behind is a sort of self-contained um, recording system. Uh, so it has a hydrophone, it has a sort of mini onboard What's computer. What's a hydrophone? A hydrophone is literally a, an underwater microphone. Right. Um, so it has um, the hydrophone, it has the recording system, it has the sort of power and the computer, the batteries, it has the um, processor, um, um, amplifier, all of that self-contained in, in one little unit that's about the size of a Coke can. Right. Um, it's a pretty neat piece of kit. Uh, built in New Zealand, uh, of course. Called, called a sound trap, um, and so we deploy these in, and we leave it on the um, icebreaker channel edge for around about uh, four days to a week, and we recover it, and and we can record at uh, fairly high frequencies, um, up to uh, around about 140 kilohertz, right. uh, which is way above human hearing, but we need that to get all the sounds from the whales and so forth. Um, we can do that for uh, around about seven days. Uh, so we like to try and get them early so that we make sure we get our data and don't lose it to moving ice. Um, but yeah, we can we can uh, do it through these deployments of these magic pieces these of kit. Boxes, absolutely. It's all about the kit, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, and so you just touched there how you record at a certain on a, set, a certain spectrum, if you like. What uh, compared to us and how we are speaking right now. How do whales sort of speak in terms of their use of sound? Um, the Well, we, we're using a lot of frequencies sort of around about 5 kilohertz right about now, give or take, maybe a, a few uh, lower, maybe a little bit higher. <laughs> uh, so we uh, are in that sort of range. And we can hear, uh, depending on how many rock concerts you've been to and how old you are, <laughs> up to around about sort of 15 to 20 kilohertz. Unfortunately for likely a lot of this audience, uh, too many rock concerts. <clears throat> yeah. Um, um, so if you uh, have your, your sort of pristine hearing as a, a newborn or a five-year-old or whatever, you might have uh, hearing up to around about 20 kilohertz. Okay. And the whales, obviously, because you can hear them whistle and so forth, do produce a, a cause with a lot of energy in that region. Um, but the echolocation clicks they make especially are primarily... Uh, ultrasonic, uh, up to, um, we've been seeing energy up to around about sort of 120 kilohertz. Wow. Uh, some of the whistles that they make are also primarily in our hearing range, although they may be a little bit higher, but they have harmonics that, uh, again, we've seen energy up to around about 120 kilohertz. Um, how useful all that energy is to the whales, uh, we don't know. It may just be sort of an accidental 
uh, a byproduct, or it may be that these harmonics carry uh, some sort of information. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we don't yet know, we're still learning, and uh, wow. we'll find out. Yeah, absolutely. So if I was to stick my head into the ocean uh, right on the sea ice where you guys were, and there were orcas around, assuming that my face didn't get bitten off, I would hear some things, but obviously not all. Absolutely. Um, and you're unlikely to get your face bitten off. You're right. more likely to have your face freeze off. Completely. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, the killer whales, the fish-eating killer whales, at least, that we get here mostly are, are, are not interested in, in uh, mammals at all, even us. Nice. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you'll definitely hear a lot of what's going on. Um, but there's uh, uh, very much like a dog whistle that you know the sound is there, but you can't hear it. Uh, there's all these elements to... Um, the killer whale sounds that are being made that are, are just uh, outside of our ability to hear. Absolutely. Oh, wow. So, oh, and then tell me, uh, you guys had an experience out there on the ice. Uh, the killer whale didn't exactly want to eat your head, but in fact it brought you some kind of a gift, a food gift. Yes. Um, uh, we go onto the ice for various reasons, and um, in addition to deploying the uh, acoustics, we will also uh, take some... Um, small biopsies uh, so that we can look at genetic material and, and maybe stress levels, contaminants, and, or a range of other information. Um, and we do that from adults only. And when uh, juveniles come by, we sort of switch out the biopsy equipment for a, a, a whale fee stick. And instead of a selfie stick, it's a whale fee stick. <laughs> and it's basically a GoPro on a stick. And yep. we literally just put it in the water and see what happens. Right. And uh, this uh, juvenile... Uh, killer whale just sort of swum up to the stick, banged into it, and uh, um, spat out a piece of fish uh, to, the, to our lead researcher and sort of was offering this fish up and oh, seemed to be quite disappointed when we didn't wander off with it. So. Why, why did you not take the yummy toothfish? Um, well, to be fair, our uh, lead researcher was trying to fish the uh, the sample of toothfish out with oh, the with the. Uh, I suppose that could with be the quite good stick. Uh, sort of data or uh, a good little sample. Exactly, uh, but hey. she was far too uh, excited at what was going on to be uh, an efficient, uh, efficient uh, fisherman with the uh, with the stick that wasn't really designed for that. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, the whale decided we weren't going to take that and swam off with oh. the fish in its mouth. Again. Oh, so he was wise and, and knew what was going on and yeah. thought, oh, well, I might as well eat this then. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, look, I think we've covered some amazing things here, Andrew. Um, thanks so much for having a quick chat with me. Uh, I wish you all the best in your flight back home today, and hopefully uh, you make it back north up to uh, to the main continent. Uh, and till next time... Uh, yeah, have a good one. <laughs> Thank you. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us and listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode and do check out some of the others. As always, it'd be great to hear from you. So leave a review or subscribe or get in touch anyway. More info about the episode can be found in the show notes, so feel free to explore. Thanks again, and here's to Antarctica. Antarctica.